The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. 80 million people are now in a shelter-at-home mode in the United States as the government abandons its failed containment strategy and turns instead to a mitigation strategy to deal with the pandemic of COVID-19. New York's airports experienced a temporary closure on Saturday, March 21st, because there were not enough controllers, healthy controllers, available to monitor the New York Area Traffic Control Center. And that's due entirely to the widespread of coronavirus in New York City. California, New York, New Jersey, the state of Washington, and Illinois, statewide residents are now learning to enjoy their homes 7 by 24 until told otherwise. Unless, of course, they are healthcare workers or in other essential services. And we'll have more on that later in the broadcast. The word services will play a bigger and bigger role in this crisis as the crisis deepens and widens as it appears it will do. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I try to solve problems. I don't make them. You know, I've been complaining for years. I mean, I've been complaining since the Clinton administration that it doesn't make any sense to say having a service economy is an upside over having one that includes a large manufacturing segment. That has a lot to do with the problems we've got right now. But sometime in 2015, the service side of the economy actually eclipsed. It became bigger than the manufacturing side of the economy. 70% of the economy in, the 20, in 2020, before this crisis, of course, was consumption, while 30% of the economy is what we produce, including all of the agricultural products that we produce. So that means... That means that we import lots and lots and lots of goods. And that lack of production in our economy has lots of consequences. Right now, just anecdotally, we learned today that Silicon Valley leaders, who you know all have their own private jets, are sending their planes to China to pick up healthcare goods that are in short supply here in the United States. We are, China, this outbreak is, has reached a global pandemic because the Chinese were not forthcoming in the first place, and yet we now all, Europe and the United States, must turn to China for the goods we need to take care of the people who are getting sick. There is an irony there that we can talk about on another day because it's, in and of itself, a huge subject. So let's get back 
to the economy. Okay, the fact that we have such a consumption, uh, an unbalanced economy between production and consumption has lots of consequences. And my regular listeners know I've talked about this over and over again, and that is that um, the smaller the circle, in other words, every every production job because they're more complicated, they pay better, etc., creates it spins off any number of service opportunities. And that is what cre what creates gross domes domestic product growth in this economy. It's called the multiplier. It's not the actual amount of money in the economy that makes an economy grow. It's the speed with which it changes hands that makes an economy grow. So that when the goods that we want are purchased from another country, we actually slow that multiplier because those dollars go out of the economy into another economy and they create growth in that other economy using the same multiplier effect. All right, so now that I've bored you death with economic theory, Let's talk about some things that are tangible, like the lack of balance between production and consumption is a national security risk. I mean, we learned just a few months ago that many of the uh, effective or the, the actual medicinal um, ingredients in our medications now come from China and they come from factories the FDA doesn't view as sanitary. And since, let's say, last summer, um, Congress has been wrestling with that problem. Uh, it's something we need to look at and it's right now um, manifesting itself in this crisis. And one of the things that we can see when we talk about national security and we make comparisons to the war efforts in World War II in Korea is that in those days, we made our own cars. We made our own clothes. We made our own medicines. Okay? So we, we, could, we could take the same tools and easily convert them to a different purpose. Now, we are seeing some of that happen in this crisis as Los Angeles's um, garment industry turns to making face masks for medical workers um, and, and the like. Uh, but we can also see that there are some very significant problems, no matter how willing business is to participate and do their share. Okay, the global supply chain has been interrupted by the pandemic worldwide. That's going to make the scarcity of vital raw materials more and more apparent. Now, and beyond that, okay, we've, we know that, that Ford General Motors and Tesla have all said, hey, we're ready to stand up and make ventilators. Um, and, and we want to be a part of an emergency ramp up to get those ventilators made. Well, that's an easy statement. There are some problems. There's a need to retool. In other words, can't use the same tools to make 
um, parts for a respirator that you use to make car parts, okay? Uh, and one of the questions that that raises, because one of the arguments for offshoring a lot of the components, let's say, in our phones, is that, you know, every new model of phone requires new tool devices, right? New tools to make the phones. And that we don't, our tool makers are too expensive in the United States. And so we have seen fewer and fewer tool makers in our industrial segment. So are they there? Are we going to have to call people back out of retirement in their late 70s when, in fact, we're saying they're a vulnerable group to come back and make these new tools? I don't know. I'm asking the question. I don't know the answer, but I suspect we are going to need uh, some retired toolmakers to come back into um, the workforce for a little bit and help out with this crisis. Do we, in fact, have all the raw materials that we need in order to make the various components and fabricated pieces that go into a ventilator? I've never been too close to one, thank God, but from what I've seen on television, they look like fairly complicated pieces of electronic equipment with screens and plastic parts and metal parts and tubing and all sorts of stuff, okay? Each one of those pieces requires several tools. So you can't just, when you haven't been building stuff, go wham. I mean, even our auto manufacturers, by and large, do not make the sub-assemblies. When you buy an American car, it's really globally made. Some of it comes from Mexico. Some of it comes from China. Some of it comes from Europe. Some of it from the United States and Canada. Okay, so Elon Musk stepped up and offered the services of SpaceX, which actually makes life support systems for its rockets. So they've got some of the tools that will be needed in order to do some of the most intricate parts of a ventilator. And they've got Tesla as another company in Elon Musk's fam family of companies that can do large-scale production. And now that they've been shut down because they're not an essential industry, they've got capacity, okay? Ford and General Motors are also willing to speed the delivery of products, but they've got to do major retooling. And who, who is going to organize between Tesla and Philips and all the, and Motorola and all the other companies that have to produce pieces of these ventilators, who is going to overnight coordinate that supply chain? Because we've lost the capacity to do some of those things. Now, all of that said, all of that said, the United States still has the second largest manufacturing capacity in the world after China. So it's not all doom and gloom, but it's also not going to happen overnight. And it shouldn't be this bad. We shouldn't be in a situation where we've lost the muscle memory that we had in World War I and World War II and in Korea to actually make stuff and, uh, and to have uh, stockpiles of the raw materials that we need in order to quickly fabricate specific devices. And and there is time after this crisis passes for us to really look at 
the entire supply chain and really understand what as a people we need to do to strengthen our national and health security in terms of our productive capability. One, it, we can make a lot of good paying jobs. We can increase gross domestic product. We can increase taxable incomes among our workers, but there's a price for that. And the question in my mind is whether or not the American people in the long run are willing to pay that price because here's the thing, and I, I am digressing here for just a second, but it'll all come back in and you'll see why I'm digressing. We talk about $15 an hour as a minimum wage. Okay, that's fine. But how much more are you willing to pay for your hamburger or your um, manicure or your uh, uh, canned goods in order to have that, um, in, in order to have a balanced production consumption economy at $15 an hour minimum wage. Because that's what that's been the problem since the Clinton administration. When Bill Clinton used to talk about the information economy and how doing real, you know, using a a, a screwdriver in a factory, well, we don't do that anymore. We're all going to be knowledge workers. I used to have this image of people's huge heads on tiny little bodies. Um, but you know what? What it is 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 the political. Um, dichotomy between a desire to have high wages and wanting at the same time to have low cost consumer goods. You cannot have both. Okay. If you want to be a secure nation with a growing domestic product who can meet the need for a hundred thousand ventilators when there is a pandemic that we're not prepared for, then you have to be willing to pay more for your consumer goods. It's just that simple. And as I said, there is time enough when this crisis is over for us to really talk about, are we willing to do the hard stuff? But right now, we gotta focus on the crisis. We've gotta flatten the epidemic's curve. And we've gotta, and, and to do that, we've gotta go through this social distancing, staying at home, et cetera. And what we have to do because of that, because of the number of people in a service economy who don't get paid in a situation like this, is we've got to provide a financial lifeline to those who need it. Now, Las Vegas has gone dark for 30 days. But the major casinos have stepped up and said they're going to pay their workers through the shutdown. Now, we don't know how much longer after 30 days, should that be necessary, they will be able to do that without help. Since <laughs> gambling is really what pays for everything else in Nevada. But I want you to contrast that on the on the. Las Vegas Strip, these big conglomerates, some of them with relationships to hotel chains, some of them, you know, without, okay, 
Um, but contrast that with Marriott Corporation and other major hotel chains who are shuttering units and laying off tens of thousands of low-wage earners all over the country and outside the country as well, okay? And that the very same moment that they're issuing those pink slips, they got their hand out to Washington asking for a bailout. And their lobbyists, the Marriott lobbyists, the hotel chain, the hotel chain lobbyists are not the only ones who have their hands out for the taxpayers' largesse. Chain restaurants have been visiting the White House. Well, I want to know what about the smaller operators? What about the guy with two or three uh, stations who employs 100 people and produces a whole lot better product? What about, does the cruise ship industry really need a bailout? Or the airline industry? Or guess what? Boeing. Boeing has come for a bailout. You have to be kidding me. After lying to the government, after, after the FAA has had to shut down their major new airline um, model because they because Boeing didn't take the time to do the testing and safety work that needed to be done and two planes have crashed. Now they come because business is down as a result. Now they come and say, hey government, help us out. How many stock buybacks has Boeing had? And look, I, I gotta tell you, my portfolio is just as much in the tank as yours. Um, but still, Here's what we need to be doing right now. There are only three things that a bailout really has to be. It's got to be targeted at the wage earner and not the shareholder. There should be no bonuses. There should be no stock buybacks. If we got to put that in the law and make that a major penalty, a criminal penalty, then we have to do that because it's time for big business to understand that they cannot be freeloaders, which again is a topic for another day. We can talk about taxation in this country at length. The second thing is that we need to loan, not bail out large and small business. Right now, interest is just about zero, thanks to the Fed, Federal Reserve. So, we're going to help you to stay afloat, okay? But there is, there is um, a a need or a a requirement of all of these bailout provisions, and that is that if we bail out the big boys, and we bail out the small and medium operators as well, that they have to bail out the people who work for them that they can't say, oh, we're going to lay you off and go get unemployment for the duration of this crisis. No, we're in this together. So if the government loans you money to keep your business afloat, to make sure if you're a small restaurateur, you can pay your rent um, and whatever, or your mortgage, uh, that you can pay your suppliers, etc that you can run a skeleton crew if it's possible, but beyond that, that you're gonna, your permanent wait, your permanent staff is gonna be made whole for the duration of this crisis.
So the bailout needs to have enough money in it not to plan beyond 30 days. This is probably a six-month problem. And the bailout needs to be big enough to get through the crisis, but not so big that it eliminates the opportunity for a later stimulus package to jump, re, to jumpstart and restart the economy. That's when you want to have a payroll tax holiday. That's when you want to start showering most Americans with a, with a, with a little uh, confetti of cash. Right now, we don't want them to be out spending cash. We want them to be staying at home, but we want to make sure they can pay their rent and buy groceries, et cetera. And that's what these three provisions, along with the already passed $850 billion help to unemployment, et cetera, because you've got to take care of people who are um, self-employed and, and are gig workers, et cetera. Okay, that's the immediate crisis. So the thing this bailout cannot be, it can't be a, what it was in 2009, a grab bag for everybody's favorite idea or charity. No, Senator Warren, forgiving everyone's student loan debt will not help at this moment. No so-called congressional problem solvers. This is not the moment for a big infrastructure plan. As President Obama learned, there are no shovel-ready projects. And right now we want people to stay at home, not pick up a shovel, or so we're told. No, Senator Romney, we don't need to send every family a $1,000 money confetti right now. You know, there are several of those types of proposals up to like five or $6,000 for a family. You know what? We're a debtor nation, okay? We've got we've to solve the COVID-19 dilemma in a way that allows us to apply a healthy dose, dose of stimulation when, when it is safe for Americans to go out and spend again. And good Lord knows we love to spend. We need an infrastructure program. We need an infrastructure bank. You know, I've made some proposals along that line and we'll talk about that again at another time. But we need that proposal and we need that bank after we've done some serious planning and prioritization. We gotta always know before we start spending what the end goal is. And yes, a really effective $4 trillion infrastructure plan, plan bank, prioritization, et cetera, would just make this economy take off like a rocket ship. And if we did it in conjunction with balancing consumption and production, wow, we could have an American renaissance. But we can't do it today. If we gotta pass a bill by this coming week to keep people in their homes with roofs over their heads, et cetera, then we don't have time to do the planning so that we don't waste any of that money later on. 
We need to get through the crisis, then we need to take on the infrastructure issue. And we need to rethink all the mechanisms that we're using to fund higher education. Yes, indeed we do. But the emphasis in that program is the word think. Think it through before we act. Because dear children, as you will learn when you grow up, when you get beyond the outrage phase of youth, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. So right now, Congress, we need to help some people. We need to help, we need to get a bailout out that has the conditions that I've just talked about above, that we make sure that those paychecks keep getting cut by small, medium, and large business, that we make sure they have the wherewithal to do that so that when this is over, they can restart those businesses and the economy can take off like a rocket, to quote the president. But right now, we got to help the self-employed, the low-wage worker, the gig worker. The focus of help should be on small and medium-sized business, which is 67% of all business in the United States. And we've got to make sure that we are carefully doing the things through in terms of helping to cushion the financial blow of the current crisis, okay? So that we put all of our businesses in a position to take advantage of a rush of exuberant spending by relieved Americans after we can safely leave our homes again. That means a targeted grant and loan program. We've got to be careful, yes, We've got to be fast. Yes, Congress needs to act, but that's why Congress should act in a very limited way, because here is the problem. We do not have the money to do this program over again if we don't do it correctly now. And on the lighter side, day five of the Silicon Valley shelter-in-place order says, so far, so good. Daily life is changing. We're all adapting. I have to tell you that I love the curbside medication pickup at the veterinarian's office today. I'd like to know if CVS could do that as well. Brad at the grocery store runs out in about 15 minutes. We're not, we're not good at this just in time. Uh, seven by 24, it shows you how important the restaurant industry is to this area. Uh, if you want bread, you better be there at seven o'clock when the grocery store op opens or you're going to be out of luck. Restaurants are luring customers with offers of a roll of toilet paper with your curbside pickup order. Of course, there is a dollar amount attached to that. And after some confusion, marijuana dispensaries have now been declared essential services. Um, but I got a question about dry cleaners. Are dry cleaners at this moment when we're all seven by 24 shut in and, you know, the weather's not that hot anyway, um, are they more essential than manicurists? I'm not saying manicurists are essential. I'm just asking if dry cleaners um, are more essential than they are given that, you know, 
people are not going out and putting on their fancy rags. Nobody, you know, I mean, we've got this social distancing challenge, so nobody's getting dressed up and going out to dinner tonight. And then there is that question of social distancing. We are still learning how to do that. I went out for a walk on the Los Gatos Trail this afternoon, and everyone who would normally be at the mall, unfortunately for those of us who use the trail frequently, um, everybody who would have normally been at the, at the mall was out walking on the trail. And it seems, sadly, that good manners are going to require some form of enforcement mechanism. Our, we, our police is now enforcing the, the essential business element, but um, it does seem to me that we're going to need some enforcement um, of, the, of the common areas where um, we're told we can go to exercise um, while maintaining our social distance. Well, <clears throat> that's a little hard to do uh, when there are more walkers than usual and when bikes and joggers don't want to play by the social distancing rules. So if you're jogging down the middle of the trail and your exertion, you know, you're, you're breathing, <laughs> you know, I mean, you do, you're going right down the trail, splitting the walkers up, and, and you're, while you're doing that, you're breathing right on top of them, which is the exact opposite of social distancing. And this is also no time to teach your kids to race their bikes or to do wheelies or to ride for abreast or at full speed down the sloped portion of the trails. Appears to me that one of the things that will change is that we regular walkers are going to have to schedule those walkers for the pre-dawn hours of the morning. COVID cases rose in this epicenter 33% today. So I don't think we can allow the honor system to enforce the social distancing rules because there appears to be a shortage of honor among the me's in the crowd today. And if we are if we've learned anything in the last two weeks about COVID-19, it is that we are, we saw some early evidence of this, but I think we now should be convinced, every one of the 340 million of us, that we are our brother's keeper and we are all in this together. If we work together and we are socially distant for a while, I have great optimism that this will end up being a net benefit to our future. And we'll be back soon with some more thoughtful commentary on some of those issues like the changing supply chain. And in the meantime, Enjoy your family. Be good to your neighbors, but do it from 10 feet away. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. 
If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.